well, we're going to start this week, guys, uh, with a new segment I call uh, <laughs> Tales from Google Review oh. Oh. On, on on the movie of the week. Oh, right on. I like right this. On. I, I, like this. I, I saw these. Yes. Right. We're just going to go through these. I mean, Sal's and I looked at these today. <laughs> All right. So this is the first review. This is a two out of five star review. Okay. Uh, it says, attempting film noir and failing. There are many touches that could have worked so well, but the obscure storyline would require you to watch this four or five times just to unravel the intricate meanings and references. And once was enough. The hour-long single take, whilst clever and technically impressive, was wasted, probably included for effect rather than furthering the creation of what could have been a brilliant film. Instead, it ended up being boring and pretentious, somewhat like some of the professional reviews, which seemed to praise it for its obscurity and, quote, deserved technical dexterity rather than point out its failings. Next, a very calming, dreamy, yet sad Wait, movie. Wait, can I give reviews of the reviews? No. Okay. I found it in... We don't have time for that. I found it <laughs> on a relationship. If there's any particular ones that stand out, maybe. Uh, because I didn't see... Uh, they know a lot about each other at the same time. They didn't matter for both of them. And he never forgot about her and decided to look for her. His only love after she's gone missing. Next, <laughs> if you want to fall asleep, then this will work as uh, Zopaclone. Worse than dull, utterly pretentious drivel with occasional redeeming features that serve only to tempt you to stay in the cinema when really you should have walked out. There's absolutely no comparison between this car crash and in the mood for love. Watch at your peril. <sighs> okay, so why is it that people who are too dumb to watch slow movies can only ever come up with pretentious to explain why they didn't like a movie? Mm -hmm. That's presumptuous, Dalton. I'm being presumptuous <laughs> because I'm pretentious. Next. I think you're being condescending, but this is, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the same kind of genre there. I'm not sure why this movie has the same title as the 1962 film based on the classic play, <laughs> nor why this one had Google audience reviews and the other did not. However, this review is for the classic, which generally bangs on an overly sentimental way with members of the family mostly ranting or yelling at each other. While the mother remains in tedious states of denial or depressive reverie, in all, it's hard to care very that much, is... and it seems to have not aged well despite its timeless themes. It's a review of the other <laughs> That's so funny. That's so good. Uh, okay, here's our next review. Five stars. Excellent movie for people with gray matter instead of Marvel slush filling their skulls. Pew, pew, pew. Don't be that guy. <laughs> That'll be that guy. Who cares? The movie is complicated and you can't comprehend everything the first time you watch it, but comprehension isn't everything. Do you comprehend your life? If you expect art giving you a manual or an algorithm made of simple commands, look elsewhere. Well, I hate that he's a douche. He is being kind of a, mm -hmm. yeah, he's sort of being a, a real fedora about it, isn't he? Yes, he is. All right. The only few things I really liked are the amazing photography and some philosophical phrases slash thoughts. I didn't find much sense in general. Too surreal, and it seems that it probably needs much imagination and interpretation. Or maybe it is more for more evolved minds than mine. Okay. Hey, it's hey, not my thing. There you go. But I'm not going to be a jerk about it. That's okay. That's yeah, fine. I get I'm, it. I'm okay with 100%. that. Yeah. All right. It is very funny to call yourself out for lacking imagination. Hey, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next to last one here. Uh, uh, okay. We were not offered 3D glasses for this at the cinema, <laughs> so we're unable to see it as it was intended. It was hard work, and I feel that I would need to see it again to make better sense of it. Challenging. Even with the glasses, the same applies. All wow. right. That's so funny. I like this bit. Last one will do. I fell asleep eight times and then walked out. One of the worst films I've ever attempted to stay awake through. Slow boat to China is a speedboat in comparison. Save your yin. Ooh, oof, wow, oof. There, there, there. I are do appreciate microaggressions there. Well, that's the thing. There was multiple reviews where I couldn't tell if these were Chinese audience members who were writing English reviews because this was a. We are talking long day's journey tonight. Thanks to Dustin from 2018 uh, from Bygone. Yeah, uh, we let Bygone be Bygone. Um, <laughs> well, bygones. We do. We do let Bygone be Bygone. Uh, but this movie was marketed as a romance film in China. Has an incredible opening weekend. And then a massive backlash after they got in and found out what this thing was. Yeah. So I think there are a number of reviews who are like, the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jennifer this, Lawrence and Javier Bardem. Let's all go see Mother. Yeah. And then what? What yeah. am I getting myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just so, nice to know we're not the only ones who sort of have that. Bad marketing desire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's a little fun uh, bit about the behind the scenes on this movie. Um, Dustin, you want to get us properly started? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the oh, good Oh, no, trip. I wasn't recording. 
<laughs> Welcome to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we do reviews of reviews. No, we don't. We do analysis. And maybe we do now. Who uh, knows? We do film studies approaches to movies you wouldn't ordinarily see in a film studies course, unless you're in a marathon in which the rules can be bent. We're currently in our 2018, five years ago, in review marathon, and so we're looking at 2018 films. There was a host pick this particular month, and I got it, and I picked a long day's journey tonight. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton, and I don't know what my host pick would have been for 2018. But maybe by the end of the episode, I'll have an answer. Okay, I would love to hear or that. Or the end of the marathon. Who knows? Um, but in case you're tuning in the show for the very first time, it is not a review show, nor is it a review of review show. It is an analysis show. And that means that we are going to have to spoil the film. Why is that? Uh, because text is required for context and analysis. And thus, and therefore, uh, we will be spoiling the film at the end of the show in the bigger, long section of the show we like to call Getting Down to Business. But before that, we'll have a synopsis, which will be like a synopsis, spoiler free. We'll have quick reviews in which we just talk about whether or not the film hits. I'd be curious to find out to what extent it hits uh, with my co-hosts. And then we'll move on to a little game called Expand the Syllabus, which might involve just the gentlest thematic style spoilers. And then the music plays, and you know we've gotten down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So that is your warning, friends and neighbors. With that, Arthur Gordon, delight us with your syllabus, please. Synopsis, you mean? Uh, yes, yeah, synopsis. Uh, I'm pulling this from Letterboxd because, as we've kind of already alluded to a few times, it's a little hard to really pin it down, and somebody else did it for me, and I, I'm going to take advantage of that. It so, is hard to pin down. Uh, from Letterboxd, Luo Hongwu returns to Kai Li, the hometown from which he fled many years ago. He begins to search for the woman he loved and whom he has never been able to forget. Ah, classic. Desire and longing. Yes. Classic. Can't get classic over themes. Can't, can't get over a girl. Clamp. Woman in a w- green dress. What do you need? So. Lady in the green dress. Green dress. Something. <laughs> all right. So um, we're all virgin watchers of this movie, except for me. Yes. So I'm going to go to you first, Arthur, because I'm most curious as to uh, your experience of watching A Long Day's Journey into Night. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to praise it or I'm going to hate it. I don't know. And I, and I want to hear. I mean, I'm just going to. Should I just, I should just bait him and just keep him on the. You hook. should. You should <laughs> like be very vague as, as long as you can be about how you actually Long Day's feel. Journey into Night uh, is a well shot, well constructed two-and-a-half-hour film um, made out of movie, uh, <laughs> shot on cinema, uh, boasting a 59-minute long take that was shot in 3D, unfortunately not available to watch that at home for uh, me. I, as I understand, it wasn't shot in 3D. They did have Just to do post-conversion. Projected in 3D. Projected in 3D. Yeah, they, gotcha. it was because of all of the moving around they did. It was too... Yeah. Having an actual 3D camera would have been too cumbersome to do kind of all the, like, the handheld stuff they wanted to do in that mm. sequence. Um, this movie was good. I don't, you know, I've sat on it a few days and it's not really staying with me. I don't think there's, there are a few things from it. Um, pretentious isn't a word I'd use at all though. I don't think so. I think it's very playful. I think it's very experimental. Um, it doesn't, it, it was marketed with that, that, that single take. I mean, I remember when this came out and I really wanted to see it. And I remember so many things talking about that that sequence that it felt kind of gimmicky, but it doesn't feel like that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, and I was reading Sean Baker's review of this um, and I kind of agree with, I, I think the first 70 minutes are probably too much for what the back half is um, to really sit in this world, but I never feel like lost or unsure of kind of, I, you know, it's pretty, I mean, very bare bones. It is guy looking for girl over two timelines. You know, we, we see them interacting and we see him searching, right? I mean, that's pretty straightforward in what it is. Um, and so uh, I also think the film does a really good job of setting up things that need to pay off in that kind of hour long sequence as well uh, in very clever ways. So, I, you know, I don't know where you would cut in, in the first part of that. Um, but I never, you know, I was really watching this and I'm like, oh, we're about 45 minutes in. You know, uh, it felt... I never felt like slow, like I kind of anticipated it was going to be a little more glacial. And it never felt that way to me. Um, maybe more so parts in the, in the hour long sequence. But I think that uh, this does something really well um, in its approach to the idea, I think, of dream logic. A lot of movies, when they play on dreams, they become so over the top and so surreal that it's super easy to delineate dream from from unless it's a rug being pulled type of moment where mm-hmm. oh you've been asleep the whole time kind of a thing right mm-hmm. 
Uh, but typically, if we're in a movie where you're seeing somebody having a nightmare or having a dream, it's very fantastical, very anti-real, you know, whatever word you want to use that is equal to surreal or non-real or whatever. This movie does two things really well. It sets up things that could align into the subconscious to see them play out into the conscious in that hour long sequence that could be a dream, could not be a dream. Spoiler. I don't, I don't know where we're at with that here. Um, and it, I thought a lot of David Lynch, I oh, think yeah. watching that, you know, play out and the, the way in which dreams occur, at least for me is the wildest stuff will happen in my dreams. But the verisimilitude of that dream is, un- I mean, it's just, the way things happen in the dream world, right? Like yeah. there's a monster chasing me. Monsters exist in the dream. Like there's a realness to that. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily surreal or anti-real in the way it's often presented. And I think this movie captures that idea very well. And that's what leads it to that idea of what is or what isn't real, which is kind of the question. Uh, I think that comes up a lot with that, especially that hour long sequence. I- I'm always going to give a movie that drops its title card somewhere beyond the 30 minute mark uh, a, a lot of love I, I think it's just a baller move it's to so do cool it. to do mm-hmm. it i think it's just full balls out to just be like the characters are putting on 3d glasses so now's your turn to put on your 3d like that's such a cool sequence and now we're gonna deploy the title card yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for like, our final like you know our kind of like way different second half yeah yeah and, and then that hour-long sequence is very impressive I, I i mean just the way the camera's moving the thing it's having to do the kind of navigate the geographical area there's obviously a lot of you know how did they get from there to there and that kind of time frame kind of stuff going on which i think is fun uh, and so I think I admire a lot of what it's doing. I, I don't know that it's going to stick with me. It didn't change my life in any way. Um, you know, I'd probably I haven't really sat down to look at it. And uh, I, I think if I was putting a rating on this on Letterboxd, it'd probably come in at three and a half to four stars. Right. Uh, didn't change my world. Didn't blow up my mind. I thought it was cool. Uh, I I like probably this. I don't know. I, I like stuff in the first half, but the second half is probably the more memorable. Obviously, that's kind of gets, what's getting touted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where that leaves you uh, on me. Um, I, you know, it's a solid watch. I'm glad I watched it again. It was one I'd wanted to see in theaters and never got around to, um, for a few reasons, but, uh, glad to have caught up with it here. I was very interested to see it, very excited to see it. And I I don't think it was, I, I I was expecting something maybe a little different from it. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a little more glacial, a little, yeah, slower and weirder. And yeah. and, And it is, I don't know if it's because I set myself up. I, I think it's a fairly coherent in many regards. Mm-hmm. And when it is being vague, it's vague in a way that makes sense. Like it's yeah. not just, I was expecting just two and a half hours of unconnected, you know, image. You know, I told him before recording, like a couple days ago before watching is like, if this is some Shane Carruth nonsense, I'm out. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like that. Right. No. This is an upstream color. I love that Arthur got to be, right on Shane Carruth you know what I mean Mm. I mean look I know I know not liking somebody's movie doesn't mean like you're a good guy and you saw further and figured out that somebody was an abuser but it is it is funny that Arthur didn't like upstream color that's all I'm saying look that's pretentious that's what I'm saying okay so this is why I immediately got on my high horse and I don't think this film is pretentious exactly that's why I like well kind of tell me what you like about it Dalton thank you I will because I'm right there with you I'm gonna be a little warmer I think I'm like definitively four stars for me but I'm I'm with you I I don't know I didn't really ever hear about this movie uh, when it came out I I kind of it flew under the radar for me so Dustin picking it was sort of my my first exposure to it um but hey, if you're going to make a movie about the hottie that got away and ruined your life, not many people better to cast than Tang Wei. That's what I'll say. Yeah, uh, I too want to have my life absolutely destroyed by Tang Wei. Park Chan-wook's been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He told that story. Yeah, he's been there. I get it. Uh, yeah, I, this is a fun movie. I, I like it a lot. I, I agree the first half, which is the like, I, again, I struggle at all times with the descriptor of pretentious, because if you sat down to watch or listen or read or consume, I hate to say consume to, because shouldn't we be a little bit more discerning when we put art into our brains than just consuming it? Like we're eating a sandwich. Uh, but when you, when you put something into your gray matter for processing, you should be accepting a certain level of pretentiousness because somebody's trying to put their brain onto something else and pass it over to you. And like the subconscious is weird and stupid and gross and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think there's a level of, um, 
one expectation, right? Like, if you just watch this and you're thinking it's like this is some sort of neo noir detective mystery, like, mm-hmm. and you get this, it probably is going to have a upsetting effect on you, right? Yeah, especially if you're not um, primed, exposed, for- yeah, to this type of cinema. That's such a good way to put it. Well, right, like my- if this is the first time you've seen mm-hmm. something like Long Day's Journey, you're probably gonna be like. What the student film pretentious nonsense is this, right? And for me, that's what I was expecting, was kind of a more conventional neo-noir that was going to have some bravura final sequence. Uh, And instead it is, you know, Vertigo by way of Mulholland Drive, but make it Mm -hmm. Chinese um, and and make it a little bit more conventionally noir. Um, You know, make it a dude, make it a film fatale, you know, make, make it about longing and gazing and... Which, you know, Vertigo's got that in spades. But it definitely, like, reminds me of those two movies mm-hmm. in a very real way. Um, and, yeah, if you like those two movies, boy, are you going to have a great time. But if you've never seen either of those films that this film is clearly in conversation with, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that I find it any more pretentious than something like Memento or Pulp Fiction, which yeah. are both doing kind of similar things with, with form and what's, you know, Timelines Linear- and what's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Linearity. Linearity. There we go. That's where I was looking for. I guess that's where I'm at with Arthur. I'm I'm more defensive of the film now that I've seen these kind of subpar Google reviews. <laughs> and maybe I, I am resistant to people acting like they're smarter than things that like clearly have a lot of like craft and care and attention put into them. Um and maybe it's just because I love movies. And so when I when somebody like so aggressively like responds in the negative to a film, I'm like, well, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm very guilty of not like not not liking things. It's pretty rare that I give something fewer than three stars. And even when I yeah. do give a two and a half star review, it's usually like thumbs up. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah same. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. Renfield, two and a half stars. And I feel bad sometimes I, giving it a, a two star. I'm like, uh, maybe same. it's harsh. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So maybe that's, that's just coming from a place of like a pure love of the form and love of the medium. So I I tend to give things a little bit more of a leash or more of a, a leash but uh you know i'm you're more forgiving i put my guard more yeah. forgiving i put my guard down more yeah and and you don't get me wrong i'm guilty of like having my guard up and kind of turning against a film or uh, I, I think it was when we covered spirited away that i was like i feel too stupid for this 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 is like clearly like batting over my head even though i really like it so i can kind of at some level you know sympathize with a review that looks at a movie like this that I think is fairly straightforward and says, you pee, stinky, two up its own booty. I don't like, um, I, so now as we're talking about it, I can kind of like sympathize with that viewpoint, but I'm with Arthur. I think this is like a very straightforward kind of riff on a classical noir femme fatale story. I don't think the first half is that confusing. You know, it is, you know, un- non-linear and told out of order, but like you get what you get when you need it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the film does a really good job of keeping you on board with its, our protagonist's journey um, in tonight and uh, kind of, I, I don't know, I, I don't feel like the movie has a lot of barriers to entry. Um, I, I mean, even if you're a, a Westerner trying to watch this film or an English speaker trying to watch this film, I it, it feels like so in conversation with sort of classic noirs and, and you know, Hitchcock and just just sort of like the language of Western cinema. I, I think that this is going to be, if you have any passing familiarity with some of these stories we're going to mention today, like I think you'll be able to jump on board with this film pretty easily. Um, I like it. I think it's dreamy and sexy and surreal and funny and, you know, sad. And it's 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 got a little bit of everything. Um, I think it's very watchable and... Uh, Definitely qualifies. Have you been waiting for me to say it? That's right. It's vibes cinema. <laughs> uh, so, Dustin, this movie is clearly up your alley. Yeah. Um, anybody who's heard Dust Arthur and I's brief descriptions has probably already figured out how you feel about your host pick. Uh, it's not often we do host picks that we don't like. So why True. don't you wrap for us a little bit on on uh, a long day's journey in tonight? I, I really do love the movie, and there and the reason why I do is because uh, we we mentioned those noir trappings, and we mentioned Mulholland Drive, and uh, we mentioned um, oh, what else did you mention? Vertigo, Vertigo, uh, as these sort of uh, psychosexual 
uh, kind of obsession movies, well, right? Well, movies that are very cleanly broken into two halves. Right, for yeah. sure. And uh, and then that is the case in, in, with both of those films all, all, as well. All three. All three of these films. And what's interesting to me, though, is rather than sort of going hard noir, and I really thought about The Killers a lot, which is a movie we screened and Arthur had to miss, uh, which is uh, told mostly in flashback, mm-hmm. uh, classic noir, uh, with a short story from Ernest Hemingway, uh, starring the great Ava Gardner, who is doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we see here in this film and that the movie does that, but it kind of takes away all of the crime salaciousness. There is clearly murder and there's clear, clearly uh, a murder scheme and there's gangster stuff, gangster people doing gangster stuff, but that stuff is almost all off screen and it's all told through our, our, our lead character's memory uh, for the most part. And so we're, we're sort of really living in his individual psychology from the, the get-go mm. uh, from this film and him just sort of wrestling with and uh, longing for and missing this particular woman and also the sort of um, inciting incidents, the, the loss of his, of his father. And so uh, going back and going to the noodle shop and um, talking to his sister and all that stuff. That, well, that and what's funny is like that's sort of the plot inciting incident is like mm-hmm. him having to go back to his hometown because his dad dies. But like the thematic inciting incident is the murder of Wildcat mm-hmm. of his of his friend way back when way, he was a kid. He was yeah. like a teenager. Yeah. And so it, it but, it, you know, again, that murders off screen. You see the dumping of the body. You see him probably doing a murder, but you don't even see that happen. It I really expected a, a particular because the the gangster, um, I forget uh, her ex's um name the gangster but mm-hmm. uh, i really was expecting a partic- mr panama hat. mr panama hat i was expecting a very juicy squib after mm-hmm. that very sexy camera move and i think that i think the director knows i think bygone knows you're waiting for mm-hmm. a huge squib to come out of that guy's chest and he doesn't give it to doesn't you. give it to you yeah and, and because it's not about that no, it's it, not. and noir never was really about that it, it, it sold tickets with that it's neo noirs are about that right yeah it, it, but it did it doesn't really do that thing and so it really is um the 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 sort of uh, apotheosis of a psychological noir in that psychology is what it's about and so we're, when we're really sort of even though we're going through his memories and we're seeing the sort of uh, malleability and the impermanence and unreliability of that memory from time to time in some of those vignettes, we're still, for the most part, working with what his head is working with. And then when we finally get to that last sequence, which I do think is a dream sequence, yeah. when we finally get to that sequence, we, we see not what happened or what he, what again, him sort of re-piecing it together, but just what he wants and what he what his desires are mm. and uh that noir as an exercise in the trap of desire is what this movie does uh for me and that's that's really what makes it work for me and so and again technically very very competent uh, very very capable i love that long tracking shot there's a couple points where you can see that they put the uh uh, camera up on a harness, yep. you know, and yeah. like it shakes a little, yep. and but that doesn't take me out. It's like, oh yeah, well, yeah, you had to do a thing there, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Um, but yeah, it, there. So there is, uh, I mean, an error or two, I guess you might say, or at least a a moment where the bo- the device is laid bare. But yeah. I really, really love it. I really, really dig it. I think it's a great time, and uh, it's a good tone poem of a movie, and so I'm there for that. So there you go, dear listener. Our biases are generally pro. We're going to move on to the next part of our show, which we call Expanding the Syllabus, and now Dalton's going to tell you what that's all about. That's right. Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment where the three of us sit down with the week's assigned viewing, and we spin up a little class or a module within a class uh, and tell you what else would be on the syllabus paired with the week's homework. Uh, usually it's other movies, but, you know, it can be anything our hearts desires. An opera? Who knows? Um, maybe someday. Uh, I'm not that well read. Um, but, uh, yeah, comics, movies, games, novels, uh, records, YouTube essays. Uh, we we take other ephemera and string it together with the, the week's Baseball assignment. cards. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, Tops trading cards. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, that <laughs> I sort recommend of... the Ken Griffey rookie card alongside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the those little plastic Disney Infinity figurines that I can you make had a to Ken buy. Griffey Jr. argument right Brilliant. now. 
Yeah, you had to buy the figurine to make the game work. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, he's desirous of the home run record in 1993, and he's thwarted by the baseball strike. Yeah, we could make that movie. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, he knows so much about baseball. It's stupid. Too much. Too much. No wonder he likes Moneyball so much. Well, we'll see you next week. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so we're about to tell you what we would program with a long day's journey in tonight, and uh, yeah, that's what we're gonna do right now. Do you can prepare with the syllabus, my I friend. I do. I, I I'm kind of like. I'm really keyed in on this, like the idea of being haunted by the missing, like somebody coming mm. into your life and like mm. gone, ghosting you in some way, shape or form, whether their choice or not. And sort of this imprint that's left. Uh, weirdly, the first movie I thought of was Amer- an American werewolf in London. And maybe it's interesting you know, uh, production peak behind the curtain. It's still spooky season as we're recording these episodes. Uh, so I've still got horror movies on the brain in a big way. But I thought about Griffin Dunn and uh, American Werewolf and like how he's missing, but it's because his best friend murdered him mm-hmm. <laughs> and how he's mm-hmm. like literally haunted by his friend. But I thought of some more sort of not literal hauntings like uh, Under the Silver Lake was a big one. Gone Girl, another big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, Ty Sheridan's Wind River, mm-hmm. um, which... You know, speaking, we just did a, a garbage shoot about <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon, talking about uh, indigenous stories told by white people. Wind Rivers really t- doing all of the, the worst crimes, but it's still a pretty watchable thriller mm. uh, and is definitely interesting. And speaking of other movies that do those things, but in the much more obvious Western milieu, uh, The Searchers and The Missing, mm. both kind of riffs on a similar idea. Um, I need to do some more research into the Ron Howard film, the missing and whether or not it was like how much it was deliberately riffing on the searchers because boy, is it, um, I mean, they're both just movies about people being taken by, you know, uh, indigenous tribe, uh, specifically settler, colon- colonial settlers of some sort being taken by an indigenous tribe and, uh, brought into that way of life uh, in one way, shape or form. And, uh, uh, white folks going on the war path and doing a bit of a rampage to try and get their uh, precious white babies back. Mm. Uh, odd movies. Interesting, though, and like very valuable. And I think especially The Missing, but even The Searchers, like they're both kind of aware of like sort of the larger crimes that they're playing with. And The Searchers is not quite as smart, but it's because I think Ford, what I think the filmmaking is, I just think the film culture of the day did not allow for a film mm-hmm. to be quite as in, in your face. So it's a little bit more subtext. Um, but again, I, I'm more interested in like under the silver lake and gone girl, which I think are very much like the, share a lot of DNA with this movie, specifically like the idea of the, the cool girl, the unknowable girl, the hot girl and uh, her ability to blow into your life and absolutely destroy you, even though she's not really trying to do anything to you. She's really uninterested in you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously this is kind of a, uh, a more of a body heat type or a double indemnity mm-hmm. sort of uh, woman gets you to do a murder story. Uh, but I, I'm much more interested in the she went away and never never to return aspect of this story so, i read this week and I, would you like to hear james elroy's definition of noir which is right along this the definition of film noir is um you are in a bad situation and you're screwed you just met a girl who is the most amazing girl you're about to have the most amazing sex of your entire life and she ensorcels you into some sort of crime narrative in which you get accused for a crime that you did not commit and you are going to be executed at the gas chamber and as the cyanide fumes are about to enter your lungs you are simultaneously thankful for the last six weeks and thankful for your death yeah thanks james elroy that's perfect isn't that great i love that that rocks (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i'm smiling ear to ear i am absolutely charmed by that uh yeah and that's what i think god gone girl especially Mm -hmm. like and i i i've just rewatched that this year and uh boy do i love that movie and i think this movie and that movie have like the same sort of like you ruined my life and god i loved every second of it mm-hmm. i want you to ruin my life again you psycho <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and yeah i i i think that like all of these stories that's I, that's why i wanted to pull in an american werewolf because it is more platonic mm-hmm. and I'm, i think that this kind of story exists outside of like the sort of psychosexual realm uh but again under the silver like a really good example and even more like sort of about male desire and sort of the ways in which that can kind of manifest in sort of icky ways, mm-hmm. but like sort of, sort of obsessive white nighty icky, an, a, ickiness, like mm-hmm. a, an ickiness that is like couched in goodness, uh, 
really like that movie a lot. I, if you remember my top 100, you know, uh, it made the list there. But I think that film also kind of gets the same sort of like. Mm. It's got some Twin Peaks kind of energy yeah, there too. Yeah, well, and this this sort of like obsessed protagonist who thinks he's doing the right thing, but is like clearly only self-motivated. Um, and again, I think Long Day's Journey and Tonight is more directly playing with self-motivation. Like mm-hmm. it's, he's, he doesn't really, um, what's, how do you pronounce his name? Liu? Yes. Uh, Liu Hongwu. Mm-hmm. Um, he's never like centered as like a good guy or like a hero or anything like the, he doesn't even within his own narration try to like elevate his behavior unlike you know under the silver lake where the andrew garfield character is like thinks he's a detective on a quest to unravel a grand conspiracy um but like i think they're both stories about like the way that desire kind of metastasizes mm-hmm. into something more nefarious even if it like never even if the the person feeling these things never really does anything with them or about it. They just sort of become a worse version of themselves from stewing. Uh, and so I think all of these stories are, are playing with noir troping trappings in some ways. Uh, but again, they're, they're all about the fallout of somebody like the whole left when somebody leaves. And again, the, the Western stories are less about desire and more about sort of like weird, um, uh, ethnic barriers let's say and sort of like cultural assimilation and and less about sort of like psychosexual narratives but i think all of these stories share this kind of idea of you know the hole that somebody can leave when they go um and i i know that i'm missing some obvious ones but those were the first ones that really came to mind for me as i was kind of thinking on this idea well there's also this i think very gothic idea there as well right sure, I mean, you look yeah. at the work of poe i mean annabelle lee oh yeah raven is very much centered Thank on you. these ideas but i'm thinking i was thinking a lot about rebecca i don't think you've seen rebecca no. uh, which is very much you know a bunch of people trying to live within this haunted memory of the titular rebecca mm-hmm. um, who we never see we only know of through what everybody says about Rebecca and how everybody has to live up to her standards or the new Miss DeVernay who never gets named other than just the new Mrs. DeVernay um, gets to play with that quite a bit. But even something like Crimson Peak, uh, we deal with this quite a bit as well. So I think that's very much a gothic trope as well. Kind yeah. of carrying over into noir. Very, sure, sure. Well, very good, very good. Um, Arthur, do you have a syllabus prepared, my friend? Uh, yeah, I think I want to, I just kind of wanted to latch onto that idea of the film gimmick. And again, I don't think this is, got marketed in this way especially in the promotional material like some of the pull quotes on the poster and on the you know dvds and things like that uh and again some of the, a lot of the reviews i had read when this is kind of coming out and the talk about it was that 59 minute 3d long take right that's the big wow factor of i this. mean on the log line on movie it's like hey we got to mention yeah it's got a crazy long take yeah uh <laughs> and so that becomes such a central selling point i think that most people want to check it out because of that and it does have that film gimmick element to it not in necessarily execution but within the marketing of it and so i think i'd, I'd look at the idea of the film gimmick and nice i mean the film itself was a gimmick, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the initial movie, the moving picture, right? We've, we've gotten from still to moving now, uh, which was a big gimmick in the Nickelodeons. And uh, I think a lot of the Edison and co who are doing, you know, cats boxing or man kissing woman, like they're just experimenting with the idea of the moving image in some way. Cut to a few decades later. And then you got some schmuck going, have you heard that you got these pictures that talk now? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there we'd go. We'd yeah. look at the jazz singer, 1927. Uh, we'd talk about that because sound was seen as a gimmick and nobody thought it would catch on and it caught on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Hollywood had to evolve. Thank God other ways. aspects of the jazz singer didn't catch on. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then we'd talk about color. Well, they, they did a that, little bit. That Manny song? You don't want that? No, no. Uh, we'd talk about color. Then we'd talk about the Wizard of Oz, obviously moving from the sepia into uh, the color photography there of Oz. Um uh, and then we would talk probably quite a bit. Uh, this is a huge thing in horror. I think that that happens. Uh, and we'd have to talk about William Castle, who made his yeah. career as was known as the king of the gimmick, mm-hmm. um, who just had so many of these things. And so the tingler. Uh, yeah. I mean, the tingler's one we'd look at where he went in, he'd got some technology and uh, they'd go. He had this thing where he would go these like road shows, right? He wouldn't open nationwide. He'd go city to city, sell tickets and, and get people riled up. Uh, and this is really fun uh, sent up in Joe Dante's uh, matinee, matinee right? uh, where he's got John Goodman is based off of William Castle. Um, 
but Castle would roll into town. He'd have people that go in and they'd attach devices to seats so that when something happened in the movie, they'd get shocked and try to make this immersive experience to really sell it. Uh, another one of his that's really fascinating is a 1958 film. I think one of the first where he really starts doing this, and it's called Macabre, uh, where he offered $1,000 uh, Lloyd of London life insurance policies to audience members uh, against death by fright. Uh, and so the, <laughs> if you want to see this, you got a life insurance policy so that if you died by fright, watch that movie. Fucking genius. Yeah. God, and it made a lot Castle. of money. <laughs> it made a lot of money. Um, but he does this quite a few times. A it's movie brilliant. I love uh, was 13 Ghosts, the original that he mm-hmm. does, uh, where he uses uh, Illusion cellophane filters so that the audience could control when they were seeing the ghosts on screen. If they didn't want to see them, you didn't look through the cellophane if you wanted to. You, you, so you got as much of that experience as you wanted to. Uh, in House on the Haunted Hill, uh, notably, he has uh, the flying skeletons through the auditorium, uh, which match action on the scene uh, screen in the film. Uh, and this is how he made his career. And really, uh, he inspires Hitchcock here to mm-hmm. make a movie called Psycho which is kind of birthed out of this sort of gimmicky B-movie thing that's happening and had a gimmick of its own uh, where you wouldn't be let in late. There was a locked door policy on Psycho that if you came in late, you wouldn't be able to get in because you couldn't miss the the beginning. You couldn't miss the big surprise of, of Psycho. Uh, so we take a look at that. We'd also take another look at a Hitchcock film called Rope, uh, which is based around this entire yeah. one-shot thing, which has become a kind of a continued gimmick throughout the last sure. 60 years. Um, What's that one with um, Elizabeth Olsen? It was a remake. Silent House. Silent House. There's that one, which was I again pitched that on movie. the game. You were the only person, I think. I, think I was. Literally nobody likes the American remake except for you. Um, I, it's, 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 it's the way the world works. I almost watched it. It's on Max or something. It's not a bad time. Um, I need to. I, I like Elizabeth Olsen in single take films. Um, 1917 does this. Mm-hmm. Birdman does this. Mm-hmm. It's become a thing. There's another international uh, horror film, I think, that does this as well. Yeah. Obviously, it's happened a few times. Um, but the single take, uh, you know, two hour single take film uh, becomes quite the gimmick as well. Uh, we'd also take a look at um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Obviously, not the first film to immerse or merge animation and live action, but maybe the best uh, version of it. Well, you don't like Cool World? <laughs> Starring Brad Pitt. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then I think finally we would take a look at Avatar, which sure. real D3D. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely changes the game there. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Cameron spent 10 years in a lab creating equipment and doing whatever he does. Uh, like a mad Frankenstein scientist doing crazy things mm-hmm. and experimenting. Wet um, a digital, literally pulling things out of a computer and making them real yeah, somehow. Just absolutely wild stuff. Uh, but Avatar, obviously, the the big sell was the 3D, but this new 3D, something you, like you hadn't seen before in this immersive real D 3D, which just, for better or worse, impacted Hollywood for the next 15 years, maybe. I mean whether you wanted it to or not, your movie was going to be in 3d, Mm -hmm. even if it hurt the movie. And so, uh, I I think that's what we do. We just take a look at the film gimmick, how this sells. We'd look more at exhibition standpoint. Again, I think we'd spend definitely a lot of time talking about William Castle, who's kind of the, I think focal point of something like this in a, in a history of a medium built around, I mean, out of the Nickelodeon, this sort of showmanship, this sort of gimmick gimmickry, Gimmickry? Gimmickry. Uh, built out of vaudeville, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a book that goes with this, Gimmick Schools and Gold. I forget ooh, the name of the fun. author. But yeah. yeah, there's a text you could use there for that. There you go. So I've got a textbook. I've got a class. Let's make mm-hmm. it happen. Let's Captain. do it. I'm putting that on a, on, a, on a schedule sometime. That's right. Coming to a syllabus near you. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I got. What would you do, Dustin, with this uh, movie? Is it the film noirs? Is it the dream movie? What it, is it? I, I, I'm not going to do Dames? that. Uh, there, there's, there's a number Gams? of places. <laughs> this, this she movie. had legs that went all the way to her bottom of her torso. Walking sticks all the way to the floor. Eight of them. <laughs> she was a spider. Um, um, no, I, I think obviously you could use this in a noir class, a neo-noir class, a, uh, a sixth wave or seventh wave of uh, Chinese cinema class, um, just bygone. But I, I think I'm going to go something quite a bit more simple and talk about the long take itself sure. and use this in sort of a formalist kind of uh, situation. And so uh, in, in order to do that, there are three features um, that I want to show in total, and then there are two clips I would want to show from two other films. So it's a five 
item syllabus. You got Russian arc in there? I do have Russian arc. Okay. 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 So Alexander Sokorov's uh, great Russian arc, which is uh, the story of a man walking through the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, in which he is just remembering and reimagining all of Russian history. Mm. Uh, The movie's uh, just right under two hours long, I want to say, and it's all a single take. Um, they had time to do two. They abandoned the first one after five minutes, and then they did the second time. And there are uh, over a thousand extras, yeah, incredible costumes, and uh, this seeing memory and history take place inside this museum. It, and it's sort of a meditation on uh, the sort of national imaginary that is Russian uh, society. And so it's a really, really brilliant film from 2002. And so that would be a movie, I think, pretty contemporary uh, to this that I would combine. Um, We've already mentioned Rope from Albert Hitchcock, which is his effort to create this sort of stage play, but in a single take. Now, it's not a real single take with the film. They hide the cuts behind people's backs and whatnot because the... uh, They had to reload, right? Yeah, yeah. The mag just only holds about 10 minutes worth of film. And so you've got to find ways to make it work. And so there's several cuts in the movie. But nonetheless, it's a great time there. If I could ever get a hold of uh, Bowser's Worm, I would use that movie as well. Oh, uh, yeah. From uh, the from Onyx, the fortuitous. And yeah, the, that Andrew Talos, Bowser. Yeah. yeah. If I could get a hold of it, I would use that movie as well because it uses a uh, GoPro camera attached to the chest of yeah. the main character. And it's one single take for the whole film as well. But that's not on my list because it is impossible uh, to find yeah, that didn't movie. really get distribution. And uh, the two clips I'd use, uh, the most famous of these clips is probably the uh, the Copacabana scene from Goodfellas. Sure. Uh, looking at Ray Liotta um, coming into this um, great sort of club and uh, that long bravura take there. And then Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, um, that opening sequence there with Charlton Heston and Janet Leigh, um, would be a great opening moment as well to just sort of think about the use of these as parts of a movie, as a bravura move, and then the use of these long takes as as a formal device to construct the entirety of the film. And so that's how I would orient the conversations uh, around that. But the, dear listener, I do believe your syllabus just got quite a bit longer um, as a take. Uh, there you go. Uh, I think now it's time we get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. All right, maybe it's just because we just finished talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, but tell me Luo isn't kind of an Ernest Burkhart. He loves women and he loves money. Well, he does love women and he loves money, but I think he's a much more affable, um, I know, he's empathetic, not. sympathetic character. <laughs> well, he yeah. also doesn't yeah. have an uncle manipulating him. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. The movie is like much more in his corner. Yes. I yeah. just like thinking about him as a, a guy with very simple motivations. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah, say. I never find him as detestable. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. He's not really. Even you kind of understand why he does the murder. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know. Well, guys, have... he's under the she's under the thumb of this um, she yeah, spell bad, on him. bad gangster. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and really, and he's got to be a hero. Yeah. It's a murder plot like Postman Rings yeah. twice or whatever. So, Double yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the guy does kidnap him and do some light torture to him. Yes. So, yeah. Light torture. If you do some light torture to me and I didn't sign on for it with the safe <laughs> word, there's a good chance I'm coming for you, too. So I get it. <laughs> but if he requests it, dear listener. Yeah, I'll be coming back for seconds. <laughs> yeah, obviously. It's a buffet at that point. That's right. Uh, it makes so much sense that you like this movie. I yeah. mean, just knowing what I know about you and your sort of your love for this sort of dreamy mm-hmm. playing with memory and like nonlinearity and, and perception reality like this is so like in your wheelhouse. And I do kind of question even the the memories, uh, you know, the memories obviously are inside his memory, but I question the real world or sort of the uh, contemporary time scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. remember when he's talking to uh, the hairdresser lady who's... Um, Wildcat's Wildcat's mom. mom. Wildcat's mom, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and she's got, um, she's talking about the honey collector and maybe his mom had run off with the the, the beekeeper. But did you notice all the hexagons that were all over the tiles? Oh, no. And the, the the entire room is sort of set up with all of these sort of B images there. And then when he sees her again in the dream sequence, there's a hexagon pattern in the gate mm, as okay. well. And so, you know, it's kind of connecting those dots. But I'm like, wait a minute. So you're connecting this dot with this material here. But really, the reason why the tiles look the way they do on the floor is because you're talking about honey collection. And so I, I'm wondering, even if he's fully, cog, you know. Well, even, I mean. Because isn't that building like outside or something? Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't put a beauty parlor outside. Humidity's going to kill that hairdo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but even when he goes to the prison, Mm -hmm. there's like 
the walls oh. were like waterfalls behind them and like it yeah it's doing that thing where it's like and that, that is the kind of uncertainty of what is real what isn't real and the uh, chicken wires and hexagons as well yeah so yeah i i, I don't know i i think it's entirely unreliable. It yeah. is the whole thing well, even might even be a dream. I mean, it opens in this sort of facade as we pull into that hotel apartment mm-hmm. wherever he is with the unnamed lady, the sex worker. Yeah, mm. yeah, Who, who's kind of he's spinning this yarn for. But we never come back to that, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, but, but I mean, even then, we're pulled into some sort of artifice. I think mm-hmm. of is this already a dream? Yeah, and, this whole thing that we're seeing now. And all movies sort of are the Wizard of Oz in some way. This journey to an end that you find out to be something of a humbug, mm-hmm. and uh, and not all movies, but a lot of movies sure. tend yep. to be this kind of thing. And 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 so I, I begin to just sort of wonder. And again, that that is kind of one of the aesthetics I really just enjoy is the idea of the thing we want is not what we want is the obscure object of desire, right? Yeah. And uh, by by trying to find that object of desire, we would never ever be able to attain it because if we were to attain it, we would no longer enjoy it. And so there's something really Lacanian uh, going on in there. And so, yeah, yeah, it is. It is the kind of movie I like. It is. It is an on brand pick for me. Well, I mean, yeah, both the thematics you just talked about, but also like the construction of it, because like Mm -hmm. the construction of that type of movie lends itself to those sorts of themes. I mean, that is like why, you know, I so readily invoked Vertigo and Mulholland Drive, because those are both also films about desire and longing and sort of psychosexual miasmas that like turn into a blending of dream myth and reality. And you can, can never get your footing because you're not supposed to get your footing. And like, these are, you know, like you said, they're, they're all sort of about this subconscious desire that can't be fulfilled Mm -hmm. because if it could be fulfilled and you wouldn't have it in the first place. Right. You know, it's, it's this, the, the hole that exists in your chest by nature of being a, fucking meat monkey that knows you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, you know, it's boring to make it that simple, but isn't it really that simple? <laughs> That's like the best paraphrase of St. Augustine I've ever heard. Well Thank done. You. Thank you. Well, well done. look, you know, we're simple beings. <laughs> we're just, we're just little primates trying to, you know, find our way. Mm-hmm. And often that means getting distracted by somebody in a green dress. Yeah. And going, uh, are you going to fix me? Mm-hmm. No, 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 Lou, she's not going to fix you. <laughs> What do we think about whether or not she gave him the poem? Or I'm not? so glad you. I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah, did she give it to him or did he find it? Yeah, I think he just found it. I think, I think so she too. knocked it off the wall. I think she, you know, she kind of absentmindedly knocked it off the wall, and he made sure it didn't get forgotten. And that's why when that friend of hers that he goes to visit in prison is like, "Well, you know, she must be. You must be really special to her if she gave it to you." I mean, he that's his reaction mm-hmm. is kind of coy. Mm-hmm. He's like, ooh. Yeah, I wanted it to be special to her, but I don't think I ever was. Yeah, and that's sort of the implication. He was just somebody who might get her out of a bad situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's great. And it, and it sort of is like a real life, real world kind of anxiety. Is that the, the, the do the people you love love you as much as you love them? Do you do they matter mm-hmm. to you, or do you matter to them as much as they yeah. matter to you? That's the game of it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's I can't ever remember if this is an apocryphal attribution or not, but there's that that Oscar Wilde quote or misquote that's everything's about sex except for sex. Sex is about power. Mm. Uh, you know, it's something there. Yeah, right? yeah. Just this idea of the, the person who loves least always having the most power in any given sort of interpersonal interaction. Uh, like you said, that's that's a real anxiety that we all just have to deal with because we again, are little murder primates and we can't know each other any more than at a surface level or what, but not at a surface level, but any more than, uh, whoever we're interacting with, like gives of themselves, mm-hmm. right? It is, it all it is all about reciprocity at the end of the day when it comes to getting to know somebody. And, and if we choose to be withholding, then that's what we have to deal with. Yeah. And there is something very, I think that's what this film gets at is like, there's something very attractive about withholding people mm-hmm. because you, they become those, uh, those obscure objects of desire. Like mm-hmm. you want, you want those little love kernels that will give you. And like there's, you know, and, and a lot of stories. And again, to invoke, say, Killers of the Flower Moon again, uh, which is like playing with some noir ideas. Sure. Um, where it's got a hom fatale uh, instead, which is, you know, you don't get those very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this. This idea that. Oh, I kind of lost it. Um, just, you know, in both 
um, I forget her name, uh, Tang Wei's character, um, Wan, Wan, Wan Zhuzin, Zhuzin, that QI thought. always throws me off. Wan Win. Yeah, Wan Win. There we go. Uh, her and Ernest Burkhart are like both wanting something out of this other character, right? Mm-hmm. And are trying to manipulate the situation to their, their own ends. But neither of them is like evil per se. Right. Well, I guess Ernest Burkhardt is pretty evil. But like, mm-hmm. um, Tang Wei is evil. Yeah. Uh, wh- whether, you know, he's fully culpable is up for debate, I guess. Uh, but evil, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being evilly, easily manipulated into doing evil doesn't absolve you of it. Right. And I don't know that this character is ever like doing anything evil. Like, it's not like a double indemnity situation where she just like wants the husband gone. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy does seem to like be abusing her and like having her under his thumb and like keeping her from living a life. Um, now, does she take advantage of Lou? Sure. Mm-hmm. But like, is that an inherently evil act? I don't know. Oh, I remember what the the thought, I, the trail I lost was like um, the idea of loving less, giving you more power in the equation. Mm. Sorry, that's that's where I was going with the the Burkhart connection. It was mm-hmm. just like both of those characters are positioned as more powerful because they are gaming the relationship. They're not like living it authentically, and I, I think there's something to that. And again, like maybe this is the best way for cinema to express that like very real anxiety you've you've referenced, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. yeah, it's like one of like the true. Like, I don't know, I think not everybody's interested in a, you know, a partnership, a two person, you know, romantic partnership, but a lot of folks are. And that's a there are not many. At the end of this movie, I looked over to Beck and I said, boy, there's just something about a movie that shows you two hot people not kissing for two and a half hours and shows you kissing in a very dramatic, shows them kissing in a very dramatic way. That's mm-hmm. cinema. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. And like there is something about movies the, the ability of cinema to like convey that specific dread and anxiety and desire and want this, mm-hmm. this idea of like longing or lusting or wishing after somebody, uh, whether it's, you know, romantically or, you know, a little bit more hard to pin down than that. Uh, but yeah, it just like cinema is just like the, the, the medium is perfectly constructed for this kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I, I do think it's interesting, though, that when he finally has this sort of realization dream, you know, he, he gets to realize access to the object. And of course, the room spins and then he wakes up or it goes to black or it's over, whatever it is um, there. But it happens in the movies. The movies is where he goes to dream, guys. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I thought about Michelle Williams saying movies are dreams that you never forget a bunch during mm-hmm. this. Did you think about Nicole Kidman? I did. I did think about uh, Heartbreak Heartbreak feels good a place like this. Heartbreak does feel good. This is where it feels great. Yeah. And uh, and but I I do think, you know, that that sort of meta-ness of it is that he goes there to dream his dream, to Mm -hmm. to want his dream. And and that is what we desire of the movies. And so I think there is a there's a sense in which the movie is where, you know, the story of Lou uh, trying to figure out whatever he's trying to figure out. But it's also our desire of him. We, We want him to figure out what he wants to figure out. And so we're watching that story take place and it becomes our own own reconstructed dream and i think part of its opaqueness and I, again i don't think it's that difficult or, or or whatever that challenging of a movie or pretentious you know what we saw from those google reviews earlier but i do think um our hypotheses and experiments and desires are also um projected as the image is projected on the screen so we also project our own desire on the screen and so it becomes meta in a psychological cognitive sense rather than just simply like hey by the way the movies yay the movies you know they're doing the movie things uh it 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 does more than just that right and uh so i just i I really just love that about the movie this is just me gushing on the movie at this point you're good well and again I, i of course was kind of going down a rabbit hole just be like Damn, I love pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I fair, but you're right. It is it is a little bit more than that. It is more than just isn't it great when the movies do the movie thing? Mm-hmm. Sure, but isn't it great when like the movie like asks you questions about movies by doing the movie thing? That's yeah. that's where the real sauce is at for me. And I I guess maybe that's the aspect that kind of turns people, even somebody who might not like have the grounding to think about the film as quite as esoterically as we are. They might like pick up on that subconsciously and be a little 
put off by it, mm-hmm. even if they don't have like the language to quite describe like what's going on. Yeah, they they are at least keying in enough on it to be like, oh, this is being a movie, but it's doing it in an unconventional way. And pu, um, I don't know. I am just very interested in a negative reaction to this film because I think it's. I thought it, I thought it went down very easy. When somebody said that they fell asleep to it eight times is a bad thing. I'm like. I don't that's to me like a movie like ha- I, I want I want to know what they dreamed. Yeah, exactly. Like a movie that puts you to sleep is like, I don't know, there's something kind of nice there. Mm-hmm. It's like the yeah, it means like it's you you kind of feel brought in and taken care of by the movie is what that says to me. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. That makes that makes Thor the Dark World a a, <laughs> a real good movie. If that's the case. <laughs> fair um, enough, fair enough. Is this the common uh, is this the common read the kid he plays ping pong with is is that the aborted child? Yes. Okay. I, Interesting. I, I, I thought I yeah, I, well, I thought of it as Wildcat, but that makes a lot of sense too because yeah, he teaches him to play ping pong he teaches yeah. him to play and again, that was the connection I made and he schools him he shows him how to hit this sort of the special swerve. yeah the oh, swerve, the, swerve the, the spinning the spinning serve. whatever yeah. that is yeah yeah. and so yeah I think it is uh, fantasy fulfillment yeah, yeah, yeah for that interesting and that I, and I think that is the indication that we are in definitely a non-real space yeah you know for that which is interesting because they use your, a long uh, take for the non for the, the least real of the spaces they use the um, cinematic formalistic gesture that is most tied to realism. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing that I think is so fun about where we end, right? It's, ooh, it's movie mindset time, baby. Oh, do tell the me. The movies are more real than real life. You can't remember your real life. It's all flashes. It's images. It's the first half of this movie. It's shit out of order. And you like, wait, did that happen before or after this? Oh, wait, did we go on that date before Memory's we fallible. made friends with those yeah. people? Movies... You can always rewatch. You can always remind yourself what happens in a movie. Mm-hmm. You can't revisit your memories. You Unless can't it's the original theatrical run of Clue. That's true. <laughs> Which I didn't put on my gimmick list. I had a gimmick. Yeah. Or, you know, a midnight screening of a uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You can't just make that spin up right sure. out of nowhere. You got to do some organizing to make one of those happen. Uh, but again, I, I think to Dustin's point, like, yeah, the in the dream space is where we use the most kind of grounded cinematic forms and, and again he goes to the movie theater to, to experience his dreams and to like to chase the object of his desire it's it is more real it gets it is more human than human is the 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 artificial the the artifice that distills everything about the human experience into a neat little package for your uh your your brain now to paraphrase picasso art is the lie that tells us the truth right yeah hey yeah. that's the herzog shit the ecstatic yeah. truth baby yeah. What feels true. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's about time to pull this train in the station. Do we have any final thoughts on this before we render a verdict, friends? Uh, I like that the narrator's a danger slut. You know, that's just sort of a classic character type to me. Like, and he mm-hmm. kind of alludes to this a couple of times of just like ever since he was a kid, like after Wildcat's death. I have he's never just heard the like, phrase danger slut in my life. <laughs> you never heard that one? My, my life is so much better now. You're Thank, welcome. I've, you. I've enrichered your, your yeah, I've enriched things for you. Uh, I mean, we see this hints of this like right at the very beginning where he lights a cigarette with uh, the remnants of his last cigarette. So mm-hmm. classic chain smoking sort mm-hmm. of self-destructive behaviors. Uh, but again, like the willingness to do a murder, um, the the willingness to destroy his life and throw it away to, to chase chase this woman uh, that he, he misses. Uh, I think that's all great. And I, I like the we've already talked about this a little bit, but I, I wrote down sort of the double inciting incident of the death of Wildcat and the death of his father, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. It just sort of like the ways in which the death of somebody close to you can kind of reorient your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, that's always like a good dramatic inciting incident. Just like formally, I thought it was cool. And uh, the only other thing I wrote down that I want to talk about was Kino Lober, like mm-hmm. just like a good distribution house. Good on you for We don't get that. to talk about them very often, but uh, they're great. They put out great stuff. Yeah, they do. All right. Well, let's render a verdict friends. What do we say? Shelf or trash for a long day's journey into night. I go to you first Dalton. This is sort of a specialty feature, you know, as much as I like this, it's not for everybody as the Google reviews will tell you. Uh, this is sort of a a movie for movie heads, probably because it is so much about kind of the experience of cinema being uh, a way to kind of think about your life. Look, movies for me are a way to unlock my own feelings about my life and my feelings about others and, and just sort of uh, my experience of reality. And if that's not how you experience film you might not dig this. Uh, I think Mubi is sort of the perfect place for this to exist. That's where I, I watched it. It's on Mubi right now, the curated streaming service that if we were hot shit, we'd be sponsored by. But we're not hot shit, unfortunately. No, we're so not. I just have to tell you that Mubi is good uh, and cheap. 
And uh, you can watch stuff like this uh, over there. But I, I don't know that you need to have it on your shelf because I think the advent of sort of specialty services like that are going to ensure that kind of a, a specialty international, not, not to d- diminish the film, but a gimmicky film, as Arthur has pointed out. I think that sort of thing is going to have help it have some legs, uh, even as a streaming bubble is, you know, beginning to burst. I think this will find homes. So mm-hmm. I don't know that you necessarily need to own it. All right. Well, thank you for that. What do you say, Arthur? Uh, I am in pretty strong agreement with Dalton. I would very, very, if we're putting the term on it, gently stick this on top of the trash. Uh, because outside of you two, I don't know who else I would recommend this to other than Keithan, uh, because it's definitely his, this is cinema baby kind of jam. Um, <laughs> I have, I, there's, I mean, there's film lovers I wouldn't recommend this to because I think they'd be a little put off oh, yeah. by its kind of, yeah, dreaminess. Yeah, and so I think uh, you know that's where I put it. I, I, no, no hard feelings against it. Again, glad I watched it. Um, don't know that I would come back to it often. Maybe to the long take stuff, but um, it does some things I like. But yeah, at the end of the day, very gently, top of the trash pile. You know, very politely. Uh, very, I, I kind of just knocked it off of the shelf. A very respectful trash bin. Yeah, you're not even you're putting it in the donate box, not the trash yeah. box. I'm yeah. taking it to half price books. Hopefully, making a few bucks off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie's for me. Uh, thank you, Bygone, for making a movie for me. So it would go on my shelf, and the reason why it would go on my shelf rather than continuing to watch it off movie is because uh, when they release these movies like this on Blu-ray, they do have 3D capability. Uh, in Blu-ray players and in Blu-rays, and I would like to see the full 3D version of uh, the long take. And so, for that experience, I think it's the only place you're going to find that. And so, you're going to have to buy. I was going to say, can you even buy a 3D Blu-ray player anymore? I have one. You have to buy a 3D really? television mm-hmm. too, and they don't make very many of those. Yeah, that's where you. That's where you'd have the trouble. Is yeah, the 3D TV. I find the TV, but I have a 3D Blu-ray player already. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I, I wonder if I the I wonder if the Blu-ray print of this has I've had it a long time has oh, the, the 3D okay. cut. Uh, I don't know. I wonder. I didn't do. I mean, the 3D Blu-rays were not made for very long. No, it was not a really. Very short. The home 3D market was like a very short window. But I feel like uh, somebody like um, you know, not Vinegar Syndrome because they kind of specialize in uh, exploitation, but Arrow or somebody like this is going to grab this movie and. Mm. and you know, well, if anybody be on Criterion, or Kim and Kino Lorber, Kino Lorber just yeah. hold on to the rights to it. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, maybe and, get and, some and really drop good a really fancy release 4K of it. or something. But we're looking just to see whether or not the Blu-ray. Yeah, if you can even find. It says 3D. 3D. Yeah, there 3D you go. on the Blu-ray right there. And so, yeah, that'd be worth having for me. A rep, a repertory screening of this is, to me, like where it would be at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get to see it projected. Like or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that man. That'd be sick. I feel like I need a party. Hmm. So now you just need a 3D TV and 3D glasses. And you yep. set. Yep. Well, glasses are easy to get. I've got some, probably. Yeah, I think I do, too. I don't know if they work with the TVs. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on A Long Day's Journey into Night. Um, Dalton's going to tell you how you can tell us we're wrong. That's right. If you want to tell us your th- if you've seen this sort of off-the-beaten-path movie from 2018 and you want to tell us your thoughts, or if you know a lot about the home consumer 3D market and how Dustin can <laughs> configure his home setup for 3D films. Yes, give me tips. Uh, because he's a freak and wants to rewatch this in Hugo uh, ad nauseum. I do. Uh, so... If you want to let us know uh, how Dustin can be uh, watching 3D films in his living room, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com is the email address for you. Again, that is the name of the show you're listening to, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com uh, for your feedback on our, I keep wanting to call it a hard day's, a hard day's journey in the night, a long day's long, journey in no tonight. Article. It's a no long article. day's journey. Long day's journey in tonight. No A, no the, long day. Just long. Uh Give us your thoughts. GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com. You can also find the three of us across the interwebs uh, on uh, Letterboxd, uh, Instagram, various other places for posting. Um, Good Trash Media, if you want to find our accounts. Uh, I'm Dollywood Squares. He's Dustin Sells. He's the Arthur Gordon. Find us on the internet. Uh, We're most active on Letterboxd because those are the kinds of freaks that we are. Uh, but, you know, we're on other services if you want to find us. Last but certainly not least, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you want to make us watch something like A Hard Day's Journey, uh, <laughs> now I did it again. <laughs> if you want to make us watch something like Long Day's Journey and tonight, patreon.com forward slash GTM is a place for you to go uh, because it's not every month that we have a host pick for uh, where 
we're, we're able to stay on theme and cheat and do something that's sort of not in the good trash realm. I would say that this is decidedly not good trash. Mm-hmm. This is sort of uh, outside of that scope of, of the type of movie we usually cover. So if you want to make us watch something uh, a little more outside of our, our usual shtick, uh, and you don't want to wait for Dustin uh, or I to make the pick, patreon.com forward slash GTM is where you can get more information on picking a, a film for us to discuss on the show or all kinds of other goodies. Uh, that's it. Next week, we continue our uh, our trip down memory lane, our five-year retrospective on 2018 with something of a buddy comedy. Arthur, is that right? So a couple of weeks ago, something crash landed in the backyard and I went to check it out. And Never go check it out. Uh, it seemed fine. Um, there's just some like black goop on it. I don't know. Um, but ever since then, I've just had this insatiable urge to watch Tom Hardy do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, <laughs> we're taking a look at Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy in Venom. I can't wait. <laughs> finally. That's a gear shift right there for you. Five years later, I finally get to watch the Goopy Monster movie. <laughs> and you got to do your homework and you got to watch uh, uh, Carnage. Let there be Carnage. Yeah. If I have time, Directed I will... by Andy Circus. That's right. God, Andy Circus. What a world we live in, friends. Wow. With Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Woody Harrelson in a weird hairpiece. Let's uh, do it. I will probably try to squeeze and let there be Carnage. What a world. Sounds great. I'm so excited. Well, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.